0: Welcome to Romsey Connections. My name is Meredith Gaskins and I'm joined by Alex Slutz, our VP of marketing and public relations, as well as Dr. Francesco Rodatori, our chair of the cardiovascular department and Darren Ryan, he is the senior advertising and marketing director here at the Staten Island Advance. Welcome. Through Rumsey Connections, you will meet the fantastic doctors, nurses, medical professionals, and partners that make our hospital thrive. On our show, we will also provide you with useful information about maintaining your own health and hopefully get you answers to some of your own medical questions. And we could not have a more perfect guest for our show today. February is American Heart Month, and according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Heart disease is the leading cause of death for men and women in the United States, with one person dying every 34 seconds from cardiovascular disease. Here on Staten Island, studies show that approximately 27% of Staten Island adults have high blood pressure and or high cholesterol. While this is slightly lower than the nation overall, Staten Island still has a higher rate of death due to heart disease from the rest of the nation. So as I mentioned today, we're joined by... Our Chair of Cardiovascular Department, Dr. Francesco Rotatori, welcome. Thank you. Dr. Rotatori graduated from medical school at the University of Milan in Italy. He followed up his education with postgraduate training at the Centro Cardiologico Monsino, and it's a prestigious medical center in Milan that specializes in cardiovascular disease. He later attended the SUNY Downstate College of Medicine, Dr. Rotatori cares for patients at Rumsey that are suffering congestive heart failure, arterial fibrillation, coronary artery disease, heart attacks, hypertension, and more. So, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And, of course, as someone on the front lines of patient care, what are you seeing when it comes to cardiovascular disease? Are you seeing more cases than usual, or are we doing a good job as a society in managing our heart health? All right. Well, first of
1: all, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And starting from the numbers that, that you brought up, but the first answer would be what we're actually not really doing a good job. It appears as uh, still cardiovascular disease is a big problem. The numbers are daunting. There's uh, there's a lot of disease out there. And uh, the recent events of the pandemic or so have brought up the fact that numbers even got worse for some reason. Now we're going to go into details of that in then more. But uh, cardiovascular disease is a uh, it's a big problem, and in terms of the fact that uh, um, it involves so many aspects of our life, and it goes from lifestyle to to diet to genetics to busy families to the way our genetic setup is, is made. Then, and, and the bottom line is that we haven't found a way to prevent this disease as uh, as good as we. We have found for other type of diseases uh, there are screening tests for cancer. There are screen- that are very well known, very well used mammogram, colonoscopy, and this. But cardiology, we haven't found a good way to prevent this disease. And so uh, I have to say we, we became very, very good in, uh, in fixing the problem once we find it. But uh, the big task in, in the cardiology field is really to prevent the disease. And uh, this is going to be, it has been in the past few years and, uh, and it's going to be a collaborative effort that uh, has to start from the doctors, of course, and research, but also has to start, has to go through the society mm-hmm. and changing
0: it in a lot of aspects of our lifestyle. Okay. So, what would you say are some of the risk factors or the symptoms for cardiovascular disease?
1: Well, of course, um, mm-hmm. we have to do a little bit of explanation here. What we are talking about heart disease and we're talking about a lot of different mm-hmm. things. So, of course, the heart is this wonderful, amazing organ mm-hmm. in, in, in our chest that pumps blood to all the systems in, in our body. It's a very simple organ at the end of the day. I mean, it's just a, it's just a muscle that pumps on a rate of uh, 6200 beats per minute. And there is a claim that you're born with a certain amount of heartbeat, and so you try to protect your heart, don't use it too much, and it's going to stay good. Problem is that, as a muscle, it has uh, it requires uh, blood supply itself to work. And so, if you develop blockages in the arteries that provide blood supply to the heart, then the heart starts to, to have problem in terms of uh, you can have you can lose part of your heart muscle if an artery closes down. Or you can have symptoms of chest pain just because every time uh, your heart is required to do some type of work, some type of extra work, then that blockage in the artery makes the heart, makes the muscle suffer. Same way that your muscle and your legs, they can suffer when you run and you're not capable to do it. Same way the heart is sending you signals and saying, so say, I can't do this. I mean, I don't have enough blood supply. This is what we call angina or angina, dog uh, me of the absent. <laughs> so um and that is one of the, the first the, the most typical symptoms of, of heart disease and in particular of coronary artery disease and when we say coronary artery disease we mean the arteries that are surrounding the heart and that provide blood supply to yeah. the heart muscle. Of course this is one of the problems, but then there is also other problems when we talk about heart disease. For instance you might have been familiar with, with um uh, here in the words of congestive heart failure. or you maybe have so someone that has heart failure. Heart failure basically it means that the heart is failing. The heart is not working, and sometimes it's not working because of what I already said. Some other times instead it's not working for other reasons. Uh, cardiomyopathy is the big word that we bring out. It means that in some cases the heart muscle itself is diseased, and uh, which means that. Uh, uh, the, the heart muscle, the, the cells in the heart, they lose their ability to contract. And that can be, again, genetic or can be due to some other uh, disease. Uh, diabetes can cause can cause that or sometimes even infection. And here we open the, di- the big discussion about what COVID brought us. And so cardiomyopathy sometimes can happen even without having blockages in the arteries. In that case, then we have medication, we have advanced treatment, and so other things. So this is one other type of disease that, and and how the heart failure comes. Also not to mention also that the heart failure can also come when the valves in the heart are not working. I was talking about the muscle. There's also four, at least four important valves in the heart. And if, because of genetics, because of infection, because of other reasons, the valves are not working anymore, that's also a reason why you can have heart failure. And all this said, there is another section of, of what we do, which is um, what we call electrophysiology. What it means is that the heart as a muscle works, but to work needs an electrical system, a very, very fine electrical system that is inside the heart, almost like electrical of wires, that they control the contraction of the different chambers of the heart to make them contract in a synchronized fashion so that the heart pump works. You can imagine. You have one chamber, then the other. One chamber, then the other. You can't have the opposite. The blood is going to go the other way. So of course, there is this very fine electrical system that can have disease. You can have disease like the upper chamber of the heart may lose their, their electrical ability, and you end up having atrial fibrillation. Some people might be very familiar with this term, or other other. So the heart might have the electrical system might not work enough, and you end up needing a pacemaker which is a device that helps when the heart is too slow. Or sometimes it's that the heart can go crazy fast. So in that case, you need a defibrillator, which is another device that helps when the heart goes too fast. So multitude of, of, uh, of issues, they go under the big umbrella of heart disease. So it's uh, I just wanted to give a little bit of a background of what we're discussing. And that's when they So uh, of course, the symptoms, as I said, they can go from the chest pain of one, to the shortness of breath when the heart is failing. If the heart is failing. It's like when, when you're running and you, you start being winded. Imagine that when a heart is failing, it's like a constant run. I mean, you 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 short of breath because your heart is is not capable to work. So shortness of breath, chest pain. But then sometimes because the heart works, uh, the, the heart is pumping blood to other organs, and if it doesn't bring enough blood to the brain, then you fa- have symptoms of like passing out, feeling dizzy, and so. A lot of symptoms can go under the of heart disease.
2: So you mentioned uh, you mentioned COVID several times. What are you seeing as a cardiologist in terms of COVID's impact on the organ itself? And also, we're coming out of the pandemic and a lot of people reverted to a sedentary type of lifestyle, which many doctors are saying has brought about its own set of issues with people not keeping up on their health. What do you see in terms of cardiology?
1: Yeah, and that, that's a, a very good question. Alice You got to the point. Uh, there's two... Uh, main issues with, with COVID. One is that since the very beginning of the pandemic, we noticed that this virus, differently from, from most of the virus known before, they had a particular ability to affect the heart, directly affect the heart. So we saw a number of cardiomyopathies, as I mentioned before these numbers, I mean disease of the heart muscle directly caused by the virus. And so virus affect directly the heart, even in, a, in, in acute settings. But also now there is, a, there is a growing evidence on the fact that even a year after, even a mild COVID infection, there is an increased chance of other cardiovascular problems because of that initial, initial infection with COVID. And I will go into details of that in a little while. But before that, then I wanted to also say the thing that there is a huge other problem that came out with the pandemic. Which is what you were mentioning. The fact that during the, the this time, staying home and remaining, because we have to be distant from each other, so change our lifestyle. And believe it or not, physical exercise, even the one that we don't notice we do, like walking to work, you know, be it with Sutton Island, we have a lot of people moving to, to Manhattan. And then when I ask them what they do you now, and we go to work, you know, there is the subway, there is the ferry, there is the stairs, there is. That's a lot of physical activity that they do, and that has been canceled, wiped out for a year, a year and a half or so, and that caused what we call, we generally call decondition. What it means is that your body, as amazing our body is, that can be, can get used to run marathons, at the same way our body gets used not to do anything. So, if your body gets used not to do the things that you usually do, once you go back and do it again is very, very difficult. And, and so we're seeing a lot of patients coming to our office saying, I can't, I, mean, I feel short of breath, I feel short of breath. And the reality is that the COVID-15, the 15 pound weight gain that everybody got after course, but also the lack of activity has caused a, a really a decrease in, in our overall ability to, to do the function of every day. That itself is an issue, but also we do know that physical activity is a big is it is one of the best drugs that we have to prevent cardiovascular disease. Uh, if you look at the American Heart Association website, they will tell you that if you are physically active, you're reducing thirty percent chance of a heart attack in your lifetime. If you're physically active, you reduce up to fifty percent chances of a stroke in your lifetime. So I don't know how many medication as good as physical activity we have in our hands. So. That part that's been taken off uh, during the pandemic has played a big role in increasing the cardiovascular disease after the pandemic.
2: And we're not talking about, when you say physical activity, we're not talking about going down and running a marathon. We're talking just general physical activity.
1: Exactly. exactly. Because when you look again, the American Heart Association website, it will tell you 30 to 45 minutes of of, uh, physical activity, um, even mind activity, which means you were walking. And again, that probably was the commute of our, our, our statinine. That has played a huge role from a health standpoint, and we have to reverse that. Then, of course, it the, the crumbles down, but right? With we, weight gain, uh, we increase insulin resistance. So we increase the chance of diabetes. We increase the blood pressure. And uh, so all this are considered risk factors, as you asked me. At the beginning, a risk factor for heart disease. And so this was unfortunate and the recipe for disaster, because we end up now having to basically start a little bit from scratch, from where we we got before, and re and re-educate our patients <clears throat> the fact that uh, a healthy lifestyle starts with uh, uh, with uh, a good a good active lifestyle, and uh, and that is a big problem. Do you see some of
2: the problems that you addressed of being significantly greater in San Island as a borough?
1: compared to the United States I would say Staten Island I mean it's it's uh, it's very similar to the to the rest of the United States there are some few issues that um, that they've been addressed in, in the in the lately but but still they they play a role in principal cardiovascular disease for instance uh, smoking smoking rates in Staten Island are much higher than anybody else everywhere else in New York obesity and those are all factors that are playing a significant role in our in our borough. At the end of the day, the reality is that the way our society is made, and Staten Island, of course, is part of it, is uh, it's made in such a way that um, uh, there is a lack of education in what is considered a good lifestyle. And uh, that has to do a lot with diet and what we eat, and partially has to do also with... Uh, with uh, other habits like smoking as I said and, and physical activity. So the answer is is that island different from everywhere else is not not different. Maybe uh, maybe a little worse in some aspect. Maybe a little be better in some others. Of course uh, there is a there is a big need into in, in addressing these issues and stuff not in particular.
0: If someone was listening to this and they say maybe I should get checked, could you walk us through how you evaluate a person's cardiovascular health? Yes, of
1: course. So, uh, if someone said, oh, you should get checked with the the is Yes. Especially once you hit a certain age, um, after, after 40, 45, and especially if you have family history, if you have somebody else in the family that has disease, then you should get checked. That's for sure. Now getting checked again, as I said at the beginning is, I wish we had the perfect screening tool and that we, that we could use. And say, okay, if you do this test, if it's negative, you're good. If it's, not we don't have that, but we are uh, we are arming ourselves with a lot of tools lately, and there is a lot of things that are probably going to come up in the next in the next uh, uh, few years that are going to help us understanding better the disease. I can just drive you through very simply what what happened when you go and see a cardiologist. The first time when you go and come and see a cardiologist, they say hey, I want to know if I'm okay. Like, so um, I like almost like I'm bringing my card to this. second is that everything okay? I wish I could go in and check everything. I really can't. But what I can do is, first of all, we start with simple EKG, electrocardiogram. And again, as I mentioned before, what the electrocardiogram does is measures the electrical activity of the heart. As I explained before, we have this electrical system in the heart. If the electrical system looks perfect, that's the first good sign. Uh, if the electrical system has some problem that maybe can raise some little flags. Uh, Of course, the electrical system can be tested in stressful condition. That's where the stress tests come into place. So a lot of people, we order for them a stress test, which means basically we make you walk fast on a treadmill while wearing the wires for the EKG. And we see if the EKG has some changes during the exercise. And uh, because again, as I said, once I put the heart to stress, when I make the heart to work harder, if there is a problem, then the problem might then might not be present. The rest, it might come up when, when we when we do stress. Now, of course, with ears, the stress test that has also uh, has other tools that we can add on. Uh, you might have been, I might have heard of what we call like nuclear stress test. The nuclear stress test basically means that while we're getting the, the, the EKG, while you're exercising on the treadmill, we also inject in the body a radioactive tracer that emits SRA and has the ability basically to uh, after the test is done, you go under a camera, we take pictures, and it lights up the heart based on blood supply. What it means is that if your heart has good blood supply, we're gonna see this image of the whole heart very nice and bright with no bra. If instead some of the air of the heart don't receive enough blood supply, so don't receive enough tracer, they say you are gonna be a little shady. And that will suggest the suspect that there is a blockage in one of the arteries. Another part, actually, the first part of this whole conversation is taking a good history. And in fact, we know that uh, if you have heart disease, in a good portion of time, you do have symptoms. And so uh, if we do find symptoms, sometimes tests don't help. But if we do find symptoms that are suspicious, then we have to go all the way and, and do some further invasive testing to find out what the problem is.
2: So when you find that someone a patient comes in, we want people to you know, everyone wants to go in, but I came out with a clean bill out. But somebody finds out, hey, you have cardiovascular disease, what is the next step in terms of treatment procedures? How do you address this person now? They have to deal with until they've had cardiovascular disease.
1: Of course. So now uh, what so the the I wish we could uh, we could find the disease before it has caused in uh, I wish every time we could find a disease before cause any damage before in a very early stage. And in that case, if we, if we find a disease in the early stage, what what we have to do is basically aggressively treat the risk factor. We don't yell at people and get so that aggressive, it doesn't mean we yell, but what? And you know what? <laughs> some people might need that <laughs> in a good way, but um, what we do is that um, we, we look at the risk factors. Which somehow I, I kind of touched in the discussion, but I mean, like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, diabetes, and then again, sedentary lifestyle, obesity, and we tackle all these problems and we try to be as careful as we are in uh, fixing them. Smoking, um, vaping, so all these things they have to be addressed because I can say, listen, I saw that the disease is starting. And it's a, it's a progressive disease linearly is going to increase. It might not get problem right now. It's surely going to get problem five, 10 years from now. So the patient come in that stage of the disease, then it's a, it's what we call the risk factor modification. And, and it starts a very, a very important, which I, 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 consider very important part of my job I start the personal relationship with the patient. I involve other people in the care that can be closer. Um, nutritionist um, and uh, sometimes also uh, lifestyle coach and so and uh, to to basically address the risk factors. There are other times in which, instead, when we find the disease the disease has already caused significant problem, and so in that case, then we have to uh, we have to document the problem and then take the correct measures. So that's where our part, another part of my job is. Which is basically we bring the patient to the cardiac cath- cardiac lab. So basically we go and visualize directly the arteries in the heart and we find and we and we visualize the artery by using X ray machine and contrast, iodine contrast, and we visualize the arteries and we see if there is a blockage. Now of course, if there is one blockage, few blockages sometimes during the same procedure, we'll also then be able to fix the problem. By threatening, threatening a wire through the artery, bring a balloon, which is this little the, the little balloon that is squashed over this wire, and then inflated where the blockage is, and by inflating the balloon from the inside of the artery, we're able to open up the blockage. Now that wouldn't last too long, so we also put a stent, which is another it's a metallic cylinder that is over a balloon, position where the blockage is, inflated. And then when the balloon is deflated, the stent stays in place and stays there for good. Sometimes stents are not enough because there's different blockages or the location of the blockage is somewhere where the stent cannot go. And so then we go for a uh, bypass surgery, which is a major heart surgery, which uh, also had improved in many years, in years, and used to be a very, very difficult procedure nowadays. Uh, patients are... Not and now, but they spend only a few days in the hospital and they go back home. And really that's, and uh, it's a, it's a very important and curative um, test. However, all this said, if we don't address the progression of disease, same way, anybody else, these people can have problems in the future um, unless we uh, can tackle the problem. So the
2: disease itself, you said it's, it's not isolated. It still cause other problems ultimately. You're not cautious, you can't just go in and get a one-time quick fix. But yes. it's gonna lead to life issues. Of,
1: of course. So the 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 idea is this. Uh, so we have this beautiful arteries when we're born and uh from the from from when we're born due to our lifestyles and due to our genetics, we started depositing some cholesterol in our in our vessel. Now why some people have more why some people have less some somehow we know, or, or this is part of most of what we're studying right now, trying to figure out exactly who gets more cholesterol in the position, who gets less. But of course, it's diffuse. In fact, we, we have the concept of atherosclerotic burden, how much cholesterol you have all around in your body. And we, we do the calculation of that in the heart with a test called calcium score. This burden, it's almost like uh, the way I sometimes explain to my patients is like: imagine you have highways and they are clean, and but then of course the highways can get some problem here and there, here and there. At one point, the road can break in a specific place, and we can fix that place. But I mean, there is some disease. So the road has some problem also down down the road, and maybe at one point another place is going to have to to need some work done. Now, of course, when we you do. Bypass surgery is like you're creating new conduit. So other blockages around, other road work around will not will not be a problem. But of course, fixing just the one place with a stent and just let the road get diseased, I mean, that's not gonna, it's not gonna, it's not gonna fix the problem for it. The reality is that our desire is to find a way to reverse the disease. Once there is deposition of cholesterol, someone may ask, well, can I get that cholesterol out of my system? The answer is as of now, I would say no, but there is a growing evidence that some of the new medication that uh, that came out in the market or so, they might slow down. The, definitely, they slow down the progression of disease to the point that they can stop it and maybe also reverse it a little bit or at least stabilize it to the point that it doesn't really cause any problem.
0: So, I know recently the Staten Island Advance featured a story about the advanced woodpit panel test. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes,
1: so exactly, this is uh, exactly what we're discussing here. I'm sure everybody heard about cholesterol as a risk factor. So I have high cholesterol, I take a medication for high cholesterol. And also, you might be familiar with the fact that sometimes the doctor tells you, oh, you have good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, which is kind of confused. Like if cholesterol is cholesterol, right? So the idea is that the cholesterol is circulating in our blood system, bind to some protein and also... Having a particular shape it can be small, these particles of cholesterol, this drop of, of, uh, of fat, they can be small, they can be bigger, and so. And historically, for many, many years, we have subdivided that just in high density lipoprotein, low density lipoprotein, HDL, LDL. HDL, good cholesterol, LDL, bad cholesterol. So this to say, if you have bad cholesterol that it's high, good cholesterol is low. Your risk is very high, and and, uh, vice versa. If your high cholesterol, good cholesterol is high, bad cholesterol is low, then you have low risk. The reality is that we're learning that it's much more complex than that. You can have bad cholesterol circulating, but not going into the artery. So now we found a specific protein that predisposes you to a much aggressive deposition of cholesterol in, in your arteries. That's one of the protein that is tested in this, in this, uh, lipid pattern. Okay. Or we learn that the, the process of the positive cholesterol in the arteries is basically an inflammatory process, but it means it's like it's inflammation. And this, uh, comes from many, many studies, uh, many, many years of studies. Proudly saying started in Italy, but uh, it's <laughs> a lot of things suck in <laughs> yeah. I want to know. But anyway, so so the the fact that uh, if we detect a chronic inflammatory status uh, in in your body, if we know that inflammation plays a big role in your body, then that means that probably this disease is more aggressive. So, in one of this uh, one of the other tests that we try in this special panel is uh, a CRP protein, high sensitivity CRP protein, the C-reactive protein, CRP. Is a protein that is released when inflammation is happening. So by measuring that protein, we know how much inflammation is going on in the arteries, which of course correlates very linearly with the disease, with disease of the arteries. So all these factors and also then what we in, in that panel also we know that again high high density, low density, but also size of the droplets of of, of fat are important. So we know that it's they're small, they tend to go into the artery more. If they're bigger, they tend to less. So with that pattern, we basically trickle down all that we know about what is considered a risk factors for you or is not. So it's very good that we have that in our hand as a tool to what we call the risk stratify people, to find people at higher risk. And so treat them accordingly and maybe in the early stage, and also maybe to avoid chronic treatment of people that they will never need
2: it you so, go on medication if you continue to if you change your lifestyle if you start living a healthier lifestyle exercising do all the things that you're talking about could you eventually come off of those medications or some of those treatments is there ways to continue your health or once you're once you're on that pad there you're
1: building? No. Oh, so it, it is a very good question and of course uh, you can come off medication the answer is yes the that it's very it's very simple. This medication don't fix the problem. So if you have if you have an infection, you take an antibiotic, it fix the infection, you stop the antibiotic. End of story. The cholesterol medication, the blood pressure medication, they don't do that. They don't oh I have high blood pressure. I give the medication and I fix the blood pressure, I stop the medication. It doesn't work that way. Those medications, they lower your blood pressure. High blood pressure, you take the medication, you lower your blood pressure. Now if you tackle the problem from from which that that brought you to have high blood pressure, then of course the medication can come out. So, for instance, we have like a roughly estimate. We say ten millimeter mercury, ten pounds. So, if you are overweight and your blood pressure is 140, 150, and you lose significant amount of weight, your blood pressure come down. I take you off the medication. It's it's uh it's very well done. We did it, and or you know. So, for instance, just talking about high blood pressure. High blood pressure—it's uh, a very common problem. Um, and the population is divided into two, two types of people: it's salt-sensitive, salt-resistant, and people that are salt-sensitive. They tend to accumulate salt and water, and so that raises your blood pressure because the circulating volume goes up. These people, if they have a high-salty diet, they will tend to have high blood pressure even early in life. So, if you have a diet that is low and salt and you control the good diet, you probably don't need medication at least for until late stages in your life. If instead your diet is completely uncontrolled, high salt, you know, uh, processed food, fast food, and and um, food with high content salt, you probably gonna need medication early. You have diabetes. We have. 20s, uh, but again, the answer can I come off those medications Yes, there's no such a rule. Is that I know sometimes some of my patient tell me saying, "Oh, I don't want started because they told me if you started, you never stop." Well, you never stop it because you never tackle the problem of why you started the medication.
2: It sounds like a lot of the things we can do to protect our heart are actually in our own hands. So it sounds like
1: it is true. I mean, uh, genetic plays an an important role, and it is true. But uh, it's really, uh, there's really two phases of the same problem. One is genetics that we cannot change, at least as of now, although a lot of research is going also into trying to see if uh, we can at least uh, have interfered in some of the aspects of, of genetics. Uh, but it's a very complicated field and probably not a client life. But the other part of it is a big part of it is our lifestyle. So, it is in your hand. it, it is part of it. Your headache. I'm not. But, and it is in our hand as as people, uh, but also as a doctor. Uh, there is a, a big component on education. A doctor. Uh, so in, in this first visit that I do with my patient, my my main role is to educate people what can prevent cardiovascular disease. So seeing a cardiologist earlier in your life, especially if you have risk factors, if you have family history. Very important, also for that reason, you need to be uh, educated on on, uh,
0: on what to do to protect yourself to protect your health. Absolutely. And what particular procedures do you perform at Ramsey? So the procedure that
1: I perform. So it's funny. I mean, we we say just explain to patients so that cardiologists are divided into. I mean, those the general cardiologists, but the one that they do procedures divided into those the plumbers and the electricians, right? So, I am a plumber in the, for the heart. It means that I do those procedures that I was mentioning before, threatening the wire into the artery. Most likely, most, most of the time, 80%, 90% of the time now, we do it from the wrist. There is a little artery here in the wrist. We introduce a little catheter. Catheter goes up to the heart. Visualize where the blockage is. And then, through that catheter, we thread a tiny wire, 0.014 millimeters. So, it's diameter. So It's very well tiny. That's why it goes in the artery, and we use it as a rail to bring devices to open up the blockage. Now, the devices, I mean, I can talk for hours, that we have very cool gadgets. I mean, but the idea is that this blockages in the arteries can be <clears throat> very complex. can be heavily calcified. So we have devices like a blader that basically is a diamond-shaped tip that basically shaves the calcium from the artery before it position a or now we have a little tripsy. We have a device that um, gives shock waves to the wall of the artery to break down the calcium, to make it, to make it yield better, to put it stem. Then we put stem, and this is what I do. Of course, this is done collectively when we find problems with stress tests or so. Mm-hmm. Or these is done also in emergencies, the heart attack. The, the what is the heart attack that people say? Of, I had a heart attack heart attack is when, unfortunately, one of these blockages in the artery is maybe it's not closing the artery completely, maybe even just a, a little, little bit of a blockage. For some reason, this plaque of cholesterol breaks, and so the, the cholesterol is not in the wall of the artery anymore, but it's facing the blood, and that causes a cascade of events for which a clot is forming inside the artery within minutes, within seconds. And the clot forming the artery closes completely the blood supply to a large area of the heart muscle. That causes the tremendous chest pain, the position of the patient like this, tremendous chest pain. Ambulance comes in, the bring of the cat, to bring it to the hospital, and what we do, we are, uh, we have a system 24-7 in which we rush the patient to the cat lab we table. Most of the time, we open the artery, and within 90 minutes. And, and, and restore the blood supply and minimize the effect on the heart attack. So these were things that I do. The electrophysiologist, the electrician of the heart, is that they deal with the electrical problems. They can basically interfere with those wires that, that they go a little nuts and they create very fast heart rate, or they can implant pacemakers. The fibrinator that I was saying before, they help for the rhythm of
0: heart. Which advanced procedures would you then refer out to Mount Sinai, who we're affiliated with? Okay, so we, of course, uh, Mount Sinai is
1: uh, our affiliate institution for a higher level of procedure. As I said before, sometimes there are too many blockages, mm-hmm. and so we can't put stent. The patient requires bypass surgery. That's done at Mount Sinai. We don't have uh, Mount Sinai surgery for bypass in our hospital, so patient gets transferred out for of that. Also, I mentioned earlier, the valves in the heart can get diseased. And when there is disease of these valves, the, the valves needs to be changed, basically. And uh, there's a change of the valve. We can do the full evaluation. We can prepare the patient. But the change of the valve, that up until a few years ago was done exclusively by CT surgery, basically opening the chest, taking the valve out, put a new one. Now it can be done. From the inside, from the groin, and so that all that we don't. So
2: okay. how is that relationship for, that basically covers the whole gamut of cardio app services between Mount Sinai and Red Rocks?
1: Yes, at this point we have everything that is needed for for overall cardiovascular care is provided by this combination of uh, but these do co- the combined programs. Most of it we do it here. The higher level is done at Mount Sinai. Also, there are situations in which we are dealing with. Uh, very, very sick patient that they come to a hospital, we can stabilize them in our institution and then transfer out for advanced heart failure. There are devices out there to support people with where the heart is basically not working anymore, as a trigger to transplant or so, and that everything is done of course in a tertiary center like Mount Sinai. however, everything starts from us. We do have Impella device, which is, uh, it's an amazing device that we can implant and we do have a hospital. From the groin up to the heart. And this device is basically sucking blood from the ventricle and pushing in the aorta, basically doing the work of the heart while the heart is not working. So we do have this in our hands. And so the combination becomes really an outstanding cardiology program, I have to say.
0: Well, I'd like to thank you, Dr. Rodatori, for joining us today. and uh, Thank you for all that you do for us and keeping us safe and healthy. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. And in closing, if you have heard, we employ highly skilled, experienced, board certified physicians that can serve you at our state of the art facilities in Staten Island. If you'd like to contact our cardiovascular department for an appointment or to learn more about our services, you can call us at 718 818 7425 or visit our website at rumcsi.org. And speaking of running, that like we were chatting with you about, on Saturday, April 1st, Rumsey will host its annual Arnold Obey 5K. It is a run or a walk, so you're welcome to join us. It benefits our Wayne Zena neonatal intensive care unit. The event will be held at Clove Lakes Park, and if you'd like to register, you can do so by visiting org backslash 5K. Uh, Rumsey's Wayne Zenit Neonatal Intensive Care Unit has a survival rate of over 99%, which is actually one of the highest rates in the nation. And your support is needed so we can continue to save young lives and keep families together. So if you can, we'd love for you to sign up, participate, and join. One other event that you can look forward to is May 22nd. Rumsey will host its annual Jack Sip Golf, mm-hmm. Tennis, and Bocce outing at Richmond County Country Club. For more information and to reserve your tea time, court time and dinner tickets, please visit rumcsi.org backslash golf or call 718-818-2106. That about does it for this episode of Rum C Connections. Thank you for joining us on Meredith Gaskins.